0: Good morning, church. Today we will be reading from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. You can find it in your Pew Bible on page 975. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of God. Jesus said, Do not prevent the little ones from coming unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Good morning, family. Today we wrap up our series entitled Deeper. Next week we jump into, back into the book of James. And we will finish off the book of James over the next couple of months. But today, deeper. We've been looking at ways in which we're called to grow deeper. In our spiritual walk with Christ, growing deeper. And notice the picture of, of the tree deeper roots produce deep, more fruit, greater fruit. Deeper roots, deeper into Christ. And we've looked at confession and prayer and deeper into Christ's love and deeper commitment. Today, we want to talk about what it looks like to grow deeper in community, deeper in community. A generation ago, Francis Schaeffer, famous Christian pastor, preacher, thinker, he famously asked the question In light of the gospel, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? Some of you might remember that he wrote a book, he, he preached a sermon. How then shall we live? I want to take that question and just add one word to it. And my question for each of us today is In light of the gospel, In other words, in light of the good news of Jesus Christ living for us, dying in our place, rising again so that through repentance and faith, you might have forgiveness and eternal life. In light of this gospel, how then shall we live together? Together. If you look at the metaphors, the pictures in the New Testament of what the the local church is like and what Christians are meant to be like, you find they all communicate this important truth that we're called to share our lives together, our hearts together, our gifts, our resources, our sins and our suffering. And we're called to share all all of those things together. The church is described as living stones by peter that we are so connected that we are building upon each other that we depend on each other that we put our weight on each other the church is described as a body with many different parts and yet connected to one another with christ as our head the church is described as a bride that jesus is is beautifying and getting ready for the consummation in heaven, and the church is described as a family. So many times, even in this passage this morning, uh, the, letter, the, the writers call us brothers and sisters. Family. Here's the challenge. Yes the church is called to be a beautiful compelling community a community that shines the love of Christ for all the world to see but the church is messy isn't it living in community with other people is always messy apart from the odd few of us most of us would admit we hate messiness right we we can't, and yet we can't get away from the messes in life. Both relationally and let's just, even on a physical, from a physical standpoint. Don't you wish that you could just clean your house once and it would always be clean? Wouldn't that be the greatest miracle? Like, no, God, I don't want a new car. I don't want to, I don't, I want, I don't want, I want a, I want a clean house. Like, that would be amazing. Some of you parents are thinking, if you have parents of little ones like us, you're thinking even just one day of clean would be great. One hour of clean. Danny Beth and I joke like, we'll be cleaning one thing, we'll walk away and we look around and that's dirty again. It's like they come behind us thinking, ooh, let me make dirty what you just made clean. We love our kids. Why is it that our houses are so prone to messiness? It doesn't matter. You live in a condo. You you live with roommates. You're married. It doesn't matter. There's messiness. Why? Because people are living in community together and that's going to create messiness. One of the rooms in our house that is a constant struggle for us is our garage. For all the years that we've had a garage, we have never parked our car in our garage. (laughs) Not only that, there have been seasons, I'd like to say Dan and Beth would say, years where we've only had a single walkway to get through our garage, so that there's boxes and things that are all around and, but, but I've created a walkway so I can get from the back of the garage to the front of the garage if I need to. case of emergency. Several times we've spent entire days, whole weekends, cleaning, organizing, dumping things out to clean our garage, and it feels amazing to be able to see the floor. Right, to have things in its place. But you know what has always happened? This has never failed. I don't care how clean it is, how beautiful it looks. You know what happens? Life happens. And boxes get thrown out there, and clutter builds up, and before you know it, it's a mess again. That's why my philosophy is embrace the mess. But that's not going to work for most people. Listen, there is no question. The church... And by church, I don't mean this building. I mean the people of God. The church is meant to live in community. And yet, community is messy. No matter what. No matter what you do. Because of the presence of sin and suffering, church will be messy. we, We are the mess, and we are the mess makers. So what do we do? Do we say, well... Let's isolate. Let's pull back. Let's kind of get into our own enclaves and say, hey, it's not worth the mess. It's not worth the risk. It's not. No, I want to convince you this morning of one simple truth the church is a mess worth making. The church is a mess worth making. Jesus didn't just die for you individually, Christian, he died for the church. Ephesians 5. He loves the church. Shouldn't you love what Jesus loves? Shouldn't you love most what Jesus loves most? So, how then shall we live together? The answer is not avoidance of mess. The answer is knowing how to work through the messes that we make. And that's what Galatians 6, 1 to 5 teaches us. Paul addresses the messes of both our sin and And our suffering and his instruction begs the question: With whom are you dealing with your sin and your suffering? Are you dealing with it alone, or in community? Lesson number one out of three: Living in community means restoring one another from sin. Look at verse one again. Paul says this: "Brothers, brother that word's plural means brothers and sisters." It's it's the body he's talking to, the church family. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Notice, if anyone is caught in a sin, the word caught means overtaken or trapped. Notice what Paul is not saying. He's not saying anytime you see anyone sinning in any way, you should confront them. If that were the case, we would literally be confronting each other every moment, every hour. Now, for some of us, that's a very helpful reminder. You need a reminder this morning that you are not the sin police for other Christians, that you are not the Holy Spirit. He is at work. Trust me. Many times the Bible teaches this principle, like in 1 Peter 4.8, that love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. It's, it's slow to criticize. It's, it bears with one another. It's slow to tell each other their faults. This is not an affirmation nor an invitation to have a critical spirit. But on the flip side, many of us, maybe even most of us, never talk to each other about our sin. We would never approach someone who has a blind spot that they can't see, but that we can. And Paul is saying there should be times where you and I love one another enough to help someone see their sin for what it is and to help them fight that sin. My question is do you do this? Notice Paul gives a qualifier. Again, if anyone is caught in a transgression, the idea is here in this word is not that someone is just, they happen to sin. It's that they're struggling with a the sin. They're they're re, they're repeating a particular sin. They're doing it over and over. It's a pattern. Sometimes the word caught means that that it catches them off guard. They didn't realize it, but all of a sudden here they are in the mess of a sin and they're blinded by it. They don't see what it's doing to themselves. They don't see what it's doing to others. If someone you know is actively praying about a particular struggle, if they're taking steps to fight that sin, that is not permission to go about heaping guilt and shame on them. It is permission to come alongside and help them fight. Notice Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore them. Does that mean there's this elite group of Christians right? Some kind of special forces of Christians who qualify as spiritual and they're more mature and we got to wait for them to get involved. And the answer is no. No. Because that cuts against the very message of Galatians. You read the the letter to the Galatians and you look back a few verses in chapter 5 verse 25. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You do not need a second blessing. You do not need a baptism of the Spirit. You already have the baptism of the Spirit. Read 1 Corinthians 12. If you've been baptized into Christ, Romans 6, you've been baptized into His Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You you can live by the Spirit now. You who are spiritual simply means if you're seeking to keep in step with the Spirit living inside of you if you're asking and desiring that the fruit of the Spirit to be displayed in your life, that means every single Christian here qualifies to obey the command in, Genesis, in Galatians 6.1. You can and you must be engaged in the loving and gentle work of restoring one another believers who are caught in sin. That's why Paul says you should restore that person, notice, in a spirit of gentleness. There needs to be true humility in your heart when you do this. If you're thinking, you know what, the sin of my spouse really annoys me. It just angers me. Now I got to help restore them. No, you don't do it because you're annoyed by their sin. Right, If that church member, the way she always says that, the way he always does this particular thing, it's so annoying. i got to help them get out of that because that's so frustrating. No, that's not a spirit of gentleness. Their sin must break your heart because you see the harm it's doing to them. You're, it must grieve you that a brother or sister in Christ is not keeping in step with the spirit in a particular area. Gentleness, Paul says. That The hard the posture called for here is, is one that, that, look, if you don't have a spirit of gentleness, if you're not able to approach someone with gentleness, you're not ready to help them. But if you do reach out with gentleness, what are you to do? What are you to do? He says, you are to restore. You are to restore. This is a beautiful word. This word restore, it means to, quote, to return something to its former condition. Or to put back in place. Here's what this word was most often used for in this time period. It was most often used for putting something in your body, like a dislocated bone, back into place. That's what it was talking about. Have you ever seen someone or witnessed someone who's had a dislocated bone, you know how painful it is for them? The bone's not broken, right? It's fully intact, but it, and it's not damaged. It's simply out of place. Ever watch that happen? The person is in is so, is such agony and pain, and that yet you know what, hap- what you need to do? You need to put that bone back into place. You need to restore it to where it goes. And have you ever watched that happen? you know the pain of restoring a bone, a dislocated bone, is more painful than a dislocated bone itself. Did you know that? It looks like the person who's helping put the bone back in place is harming the other person, but they're not. They're helping. You see, the only way to help someone with a dislocated bone, the only way to restore the bone to its proper place, is for that person to experience greater pain. Isn't that crazy? Relocation is more painful than dislocation. But you know what? It's a healing pain. It's a healing pain. Could you imagine if doctors... When the nurses, if they went to bed at night, not convinced that the things they do are, is, is, is based on healing pain. Could you imagine a doctor every day goes into work and she's cutting people open? I mean, she's literally cutting skin, cutting flesh, opening up. Could you imagine if she, every night she realized, I'm literally hurting people. No, but if she realizes, he realizes, the, hurt, the, the, the cut I'm doing, it's a healing cut. It's a healing pain. It's to restore people, not to, not to harm them. and that, That's why they can sleep at night. And that's why we go to them. Listen to me carefully. If we are going to live as a church, live our true community, this deeper community that the New Testament envisions us to live, it's going to be painful at times extremely painful because dealing with pain i mean dealing with sin is always painful we're dealing with i mean think about it we're dealing with desires that we think will satisfy us even though they won't we're dealing with thinking and mindsets that we are convinced is right we're dealing with emotions that we are adamant are appropriate, and we're dealing with actions that we believe are totally justified. That's what it looks like to be caught in sin. We're blind to it. And so if you're gonna help someone deal with sin and you know it will be painful, then the the, the caution, the warning is you better do it gently and humbly. How humbly? Paul tells us in verse 1, you ought to do this with such gentleness, with such humility, that you keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. There's a real danger here, that when you try to help someone with their sin, you start to think, whew, I'm so glad I would never be tempted with that. If you think that, if that starts to creep up, then you better put on the brakes, you have no business helping. The pastors were talking about this passage this this week and we were wrestling through it and trying to discuss it and multiple ones of us said we've been in counseling situations and people are sharing their struggles and literally our first thought is, me too. I'm wrestling too. I'm dealing with that too. How do I help you when I feel like I have, I'm, I'm dealing with that in, in my daily life too? If you think that you're somehow above that temptation or a certain kind of sin, you'll never approach them with gentleness and humility. It's always going to come across arrogantly or harshly, and that's immaturity. So please keep watch on yourself. Be especially watchful for any signs of pride or self-righteousness and resist it. Understand, just like the Apostle Paul, who's one of the greatest teachers, or greatest apostles, he said, except for the grace of God, there go I. But for the grace of God, I'd be like that person. Only the grace of God has rescued me and that humbles me. When a fellow Christian is trapped in sin, they do not need isolation, which is their probably their temptation, and they also don't need amputation. They need restoration. To help them see their sin for what it is, Repent of that sin, meaning turn from it and experience the wonder of forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ. Now, I say all that, and you know what? I bet you can see how scary this is. Can you see why many Christians don't even bother with living this kind of community out? There have been numerous times When I've talked to someone, other pastors have talked to to people uh, in and around our church community, and they'll say something like this, pastor, that person's sin is none of my business. Well, that's not a mindset that is being renewed by the Spirit. It's not biblical. Christ literally calls us to speak the truth in love. Meaning, you, nobody, none of us, you don't avoid confrontation, nor do you enjoy it. right? Some of us are like, yeah, give me a battle. Others are like, ah, just leave me alone. No, neither. We reject both of them. I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. I, I, listen, we will welcome you just the way you are. But we will love you enough not to leave you that way. That is one of the convictions of our church. We will welcome you. You bring your mess. You bring your burdens. You bring your struggles. You bring all the, all the baggage you bring. But listen, you know what love says? Love says, open arms, and then we roll up our sleeves and get to work. Together. Together. We're not going to leave you that way. That's not love. That's the world's love. You be you. That's not love. That's deadly poison for your soul. It takes courage and humility. But this is what Christianity looks like. Because the goal, Colossians 1, is to present every person mature mature in Christ. And I get it, it's scary. It's scary for a number of reasons. It's scary because if you do this, if we try to live this out, if you try to do this with a fellow Christian, even with gentleness, it's scary because they may not like it and it may not work. And now you've jeopardized a relationship. You approach someone in your small group, someone in your Bible study, someone you've been building relationship, with, you approach them, man, that might be it for you. And you gotta be, you gotta say love is worth that risk. It's also scary because when you do this for others, you are implicitly welcoming them to do it for you. You're saying, I need, a, I need community just like you do. I need, helping to, I need help with my sin just as much as you do. And so if I'm willing to do it for you, I'm inviting you as, as my brother and sister to help me, to come to me. Listen, church, are you doing this? Are we doing this? Are we helping others fight sin? Are you welcoming others to help you fight sin in your life? Where is this best done? We believe in a small group of people who know you well, who love you, and whom you trust. That's why we keep encouraging small groups. We'll have people up here at a connection corner, men and women leaders who can help answer questions, help you get connected to a small group or a Bible study, a small group of men or women, men and women, singles, married, divorce, we have support groups, groups of people that want to help you love Christ, pursue Christ, and doing in community where we sharpen one another as iron sharpens another. Lesson number two. Not only does it mean We help restore one another from sin, but living in community means bearing one another's burdens. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Burdens is a general term. It goes beyond our dealings with sin and and it encompasses all of life's trials. This is a call to help others carry the weight. The word word burden literally is a weight. It, It means carry the weight of life's burdens that they can't endure themselves. The word burden here is a strong word. It means it's a picture. It's a picture of, of a fellow believer carrying a massive weight, something so heavy, something so so, so burdensome, they, they literally can't do it on themselves. And maybe they're carrying it like this, like a big boulder, or maybe it's on their back and it's it's weighing them down. And, and Paul is saying, listen, you see a believer carrying something that's so heavy, so burdensome that it looks like you're going to be crushed underneath of it. What do you do? You don't go, let me give you a hand. You got this. I know you can do it. Dig deeper. No, you're not their coach. They don't need a life coach. You don't say, ah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I hope you can get the next step. I'm gonna pray the Lord give you divine favor to make that next. No. If they're literally about to be crushed, you literally get up under there and you help them, don't you? Nod your house this way. Don't you? shouldn't you? I would hope you'd run over, get up under that weight to help them carry it. You see, bearing one another's burdens in in life involves three things, at least these three things. Love. Number one, love. Love, because without love, why would you ever get involved? If there's no love, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, if there's no love, forget it. Forget it. You need to care about the person so deeply you can't not want to help. Love, the definition of love is you seek another's ultimate good. Do you love your fellow brother and sister in Christ here at Grace? Do you see each other not just as fellow church members, but as a family? When Paul says, brothers and sisters, he's not just trying to like toot our horns. He's saying, this is how you ought to see each other because this is who you actually are. That we're that intimately connected, we're going to spend eternity with each other, so we might as well get, lo- get to love each other now. Love. Bearing burdens requires love, it also requires sympathy. Sympathy. You have to get so close to that person who's struggling that you begin to feel what they feel. I'm not saying you take it upon yourself. I'm not saying you know exactly what they're... You could say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. No, you probably won't. Don't. But, but you, you begin to feel what they feel. That's what sympathy, sympathos, sharing their passion, sharing their emotion, sharing the struggle with them. The word, the word in, in English, understanding. It literally comes from you stand under with someone. I know we don't think about it that way. I understand what you're saying. Mm, Do you? Let's say you know someone who's dealing with something really hard. It could be a physical illness, a mental health issue, a financial struggle, a broken relationship, and it's, it's weighing them down. What do they need? What do they need? They need someone to listen to them. At the very least, they need someone to listen, right? if someone's dealing with a medical ailment i'm not a medical doctor i can't diagnose i can't fix the problem but i am a brother in christ and i can get so close that i that i try that i desire that i begin to feel what that person is feeling and what they're going through and as they share the struggle often it's a very emotional thing when when people are sharing i'm in constant pain my my marriage feels like a wreck i feel like i'm a failure as a parent i'm dealing with this issue you can feel the weight that they're carrying and then this interesting thing happens. As they share, what happens to you? You start to feel the burden, don't you? It affects you. Right? You, you begin to feel their pain. What happens often is that the conversations like that can be draining, can't they? Really draining. But you know what's happening when that, when, when that happens? You know what's happening? You're getting close enough where you're starting to bear their burden with them. You're starting to carry it with them. Literally, some of the burden is sliding onto you. And and it feels a little bit lighter for them. Have you you ever had this experience where you share a burden with... um, Let's say someone shares a burden with you. And you truly sympathize with them. You're sharing in their pain. They feel comforted. They don't feel as alone. And when the conversation is done, they, they might say like, Wow, I feel... I feel so relieved that I could share. I feel less burdened, and yet you feel more burdened. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because you're taking the weight off to just even just the 1%, 0.1%. You say they'll never understand fully. I get it, but even a little bit, can they, can they bear it a little bit? That's what he's talking about here. Bear one another's burdens. Have sympathy that you begin to bear under it with that person. Carry it with each other. Or maybe it's a financial burden. You get so close that you see a need and you feel the need and it weighs on you. That's sympathy. But then real love and real sympathy will always lead to one more thing and that is sacrifice. Burden bearing involves sacrifice. You see, in order to relieve the weight of that burden, you need to bear some of it in some way. And if someone has a financial burden, the way you bear some of that burden is you share your resources with them. You say, I see it's burdensome. I can help. I can do something. I see this is hard. I can offer my time. Uh, Sacrifice is essential to burden pairing, whether it's time or resources or emotional energy. You cannot help carry someone else's burden without it costing you something, and isn't that the point? If you say, I don't... I don't have to, enough to give. I can't give. I can't help that person because I feel like I'm working on very little over here. And now this person is saying their are but they don't know the junk I'm dealing with. They don't know the, me- the mental health issues I'm dealing with. They don't know the physical. You're right, they don't. But if you are not willing to at least begin the process of thinking, how can I help bear their burdens? That is what Christ does, and that is what he calls us into. Some of us may need help getting out of ourselves to help other people, not, not realizing the help you get often comes when you are able to help somebody else. And I know some of you are thinking, this is exactly why I don't share my struggles, because I don't want to be a burden on others. Have you ever heard that? I don't want to be a burden. Maybe you're thinking that. I don't want to be a burden on others. I'll carry it. I will carry it so I can relieve my fellow brothers and sisters. And you might spiritualize saying it's better for them not to have to carry this burden. First of all, don't you realize that if you don't share your struggles with anyone, you are never allowing others to come alongside and help you. And you're denying yourself and you're denying others from the ability to live out this command. You are making true community impossible. If you're not willing to be a burden, share your burdens. Secondly, if you say, I don't want to be a burden on others, I'm struggling What if burdening others is God's plan? What if that's part of God's plan? And I would argue it is. What if mutual burden bearing is exactly how God wants us to grow together, to sanctify us together, To deepen our dependence on Him together? A Christian has no business saying, I don't want to be a burden. Because the very essence of Christian community is to share one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. We can't fulfill the very law or pattern of Christ unless we do this. We don't share burdens in order to carry them for others. We do it in order to bear them with others. And them with us. This is what it looks like to live in community. Lesson number three. (laughs) Living in community means having a gospel-centered view of self. Verses three to five seem strange at first glance after what Paul just instructed us in verses one and two. But they're connected. Because if you look at verse three, it says, For if anyone thinks he's something... Right, His point is, we can't confront sin, we can't bear burdens with others without a healthy, gospel-centered view of ourselves. Four, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his, re- then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Living in community does not mean we neglect the important work. This is the, this is the, the guard here. The warning, it doesn't mean we neglect the important work of taking responsibility for our own spiritual growth. Philippians 2.12, Paul says, he calls each of us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? You don't save yourself? You're not gaining salvation? No. You, you work on spiritual growth. You work on sanctification. You take the initiative to run the race looking unto Jesus and you pursue that. You intentionally do that. He's warning us of the dangers of doing life with others without recognizing the sinful attitudes that can creep up in our souls. And that is, we are very prone to selfishness and poor motives when we're dealing with each other's sin and suffering. And so he gives us several self checks. Self checks. Again, verse three. He's saying, You can't get immersed in the sin and suffering of others without being on guard, being careful that it doesn't lead to pride. Because you can start to think, Wow, I'm so glad I can help others with their stuff because I'm not dealing with that same kind of stuff. I'm so glad glad God has me here to help these people with their struggles. And and Paul said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't act like you're something when you're nothing. You've been rescued by the same amazing grace extended to your brothers and sisters. You're a work in progress just like them. So don't deceive yourself. What did Jesus say in John 15? Apart from me, you can do most things. But for the rest, follow me, trust me. No. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That's humbling. That's sobering. It, it should lead to humility to bear each other's burdens. Because I know, look, I'm helping my sister bear with this burden. I help my brother bear this burden. But I know I have my own stuff. I'm still in process too. My just my stuff looks different, but it's I'm still I'm still dealing with stuff. So he's saying, don't think you're something. And then in verse four, he says the exact opposite. You have reason to boast in yourself. What is he saying? What is, what is he talking about? He's saying this, there's a way of showing selfless concern for others without comparing yourself to others. There's a way of showing selfless concern for others without comparing yourself to others. Comparison, verse 4 and 5, Comparison with others will always lead to two things. And we say this often. If you compare yourself to others, it will always either lead to pride or despair. Pride, if you think you're more spiritual, right? You think you're doing better. Yeah, I'm helping them. I'm a I'm I'm one of those elite Christians helping my doing community. I don't know why they won't get their act together and do this like I'm doing it. Or it leads to despair. Because you think I am I am so blowing it. I am nothing. I have nothing. I'm less spiritual. And verse 4 says, no, you should have reason to both. You should, you should be able to be conf- have confidence in Christ. You should have a healthy view of self that gets rid of pride and gets rid of despair and recognizes that in Christ you are a new creation. You are unconditionally loved. You have a future at home in heaven with him. You have a spirit of the living God in you right now. Nothing can separate you from his love. And that both humbles you and it exhilarates you at the same time. And it does away with all comparison. That's why Paul says, test yourself against God's standards. That's the only one that counts. And it should lead to greater rejoicing in the ways that God is working in your life and greater humility knowing that you're still a work in process. And let each one bear his own load. Verse 5. The word load there is is different than burden in in verse 2. The load there literally means backpack. Like, we all got our own backpack. Don't be trying to give your neighbor your backpack, like carry your backpack. But when you got those big burdens, that's what the body of Christ is there for. Come alongside one another. Work out your own salvation. Get your backpack on. Pursue Christ. Get into his words Spend time in communion and prayer. Get into a small group. Backpack on. Holding each other's burdens. Let's do this, Paul says. Now, where do we get the courage and humility to have this kind of community? I I could never convince you that this is the best way. It it has to and can only be the gospel that empowers you and compels you to do it. That's the secret. That's the power. To share in the messiness of each other's sin and suffering. And I know that because that's what Paul says in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? Does Christ set us free from the law, as he tells us in Romans, only to put us under the law? A new law? No. The entire book of Galatians says you're set free from the law. So what is the law of Christ? It's the pattern of Christ. It's back up in Galatians 5 when he says, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. That's the pattern of Christ. He loves his neighbor You restore from sin, you bear burdens because when you do, you're fulfilling the very pattern that Christ set for us. Didn't Jesus gently restore people who are caught in sin? Just think about that. You think of Matthew, the tax collector. Or you think of the woman caught in adultery. Or you think of of Peter, right? Falling into the waves after he's walking on water. Jesus gently restores people. Didn't Jesus also bear others' burdens? Wasn't he weeping with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead? And yet he's ripped up inside because of the death. But all of that is nothing compared to his own death. Isaiah 53 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus confronted our sin in the greatest possible way. He actually took them on himself. He was crushed by our sin. And Jesus bore our burdens to the greatest degree. He was crushed by our sorrows, crushed by our burdens, and he did it willingly, even gladly. Why? You say, why? Jesus is the, the freest being in the universe. Why would he do it? Galatians 5:13. He used his freedom in love to serve us. He died because of your sin. He died because of mine. He was crushed. He's the only one who can handle not just helping bear our burden, but us giving him our burden. The burden of our sin. The burden of our debt before God. The burden of our guilt before a holy God. The the burden of our punishment. Eternal separation from him in hell. Jesus, the God-man, the perfect God-man, took all of that, all the shame, and he bore it on the cross, and he did it to take it all away. So that now... If you, no matter where you've been or what you've done, and I don't, I don't know why you came in today, I'm not sure what brought you here, but I know this, no matter what you have done or where you've been, if you will come to Jesus with the greatest burden of your sin and not just say, Jesus, help me with it, but say, Jesus, I give all of it to you. I trust in you as my savior. I'm giving you my sin and I receive you by faith. Listen, he changes you forever. You become a child of God. You are forgiven, just like we sang. You are restored to the Father in heaven, to the family of God. And then, and then He frees you to follow the same pattern as Him. In love, serve one another. Not to be their Savior, but to keep pointing each other to the only Savior, Jesus Christ. In truth and in grace, So back to my question, how then shall we live together? Here's how. In the messiness of sin and suffering, because the church is a mess worth making, because it's a bride that Jesus died for. Let's restore, let's bear, let's have a gospel-centered view of ourselves, and let's church this year, let's grow deeper into community. Would you pray with me? The musicians are going to come up. They're going to start playing. I'm just going to ask you to take a moment of reflection. Are you doing this? Are you seeking to live out what this passage teaches? Again, I said this last week. You're not just here to to listen to a sermon to sing songs, you're here to be transformed. You're here not by accident, but by God's gracious, sovereign plan to speak to your heart, to transform you from one degree of glory to another. What needs to change in order for you to be able to live this out? Because Jesus never commands us something that he doesn't equip us and empower us to do. Lord, this is so scary. So scary that even as a pastor, as I study this and I'm thinking through it, there's a part of me that wants to run from this. There's a part of me personally that feels the, the, the weight of feeling like if I share, people will think even less of me because of my role. Lord, I confess publicly a part of me wants to hide and not be open, not be vulnerable, not share burdens, not have people share my burdens, not share my sin. Lord, I, I, I confess this morning, I need your help to put that kind of ungodly despair away and to be authentic as I seek to live in community with my brothers and sisters. Help us, Jesus, this world doesn't need people who have it all together they need a broken community who look to the one who makes all things new help us to be that kind of community and if there are those here who who may have heard of Jesus, who may have heard of the gospel, maybe they grew up in some kind of Christian tradition, but they have not said, I I know for sure that if I were to die today, I will spend eternity with God in heaven, I pray that today, that they would cry out to you and pray, Jesus, I bring you my sin, my struggles, my shame, I turn from it and I trust you as my Savior, I believe that you are the one who died and rose again for me. Oh, grant this gift to those who may be watching or listening here. Do this for the glory of your name and the beautification of your church, the bride. We pray in your name. Amen.